Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 85 with Dave and Mark. We have an awesome guest for you. We got Martin Kidd from Victory Amps. Martin, how are you? Very well. Thank you very much. Very Dave, nice what's going on with you? Same as usual. <laughs> Busy, not much, you know, working at home, working at shop, working both places, you know. And Martin, are you uh, you guys locking down again, I heard? Yes, as of Thursday. Um, I, I'm not sure at the moment the restrictions are the same as they were earlier this year. Um, so I think we might be allowed to go to work. Um, but I'd quite honestly, I don't I, I don't know because uh, I work from home most of the time. Mm hmm. And it didn't really affect me a great deal. Um, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, I didn't have to go up to the factory as much, um, but that that was really it. Um, so we will see, and okay. uh, hope, hope it, it does the job this time. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And uh, yeah, hopefully. Well, we've got. Well, I think we've got a big day coming up next Tuesday, but we won't talk about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, civil unrest probably. Oh yeah, <laughs> most most likely, depending on the outcome, civil unrest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I, I am anxious about it. I will say, but but in any case. Um, We've got a lot of people watching, uh, close to 100 right now. And um, so, Martin, I, I've wanted to try out your amps for a while. I have not had the opportunity, but I have heard so many great things about uh, about you, about Victory Amps, uh, even beforehand when you were in uh, – you, you worked on Cornford Amps, I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so what exactly is your role with, with Victory Amps? I design them, so I, I come up with the circuits, and um, that's it in a nutshell. I, I'll be given sometimes a design brief. You know, we need to make a, an amp that's good for clean, you know, sounds, pedal platform type amp perhaps, or one that does metal, and that that will be my design brief, and then I'll go from there. Um, and it may be that, you know, I'm, I'm told, let's do a lunchbox version of that. So I know how much space I've got to play with. And uh, the, the lunchbox format has been quite successful for us. And that was given to us by Guthrie Govan. That would be, uh, that's how it all started with that size amplifier. Um, and so that, that's really my role. So circuit board, the, the circuit, circuit board, design, transformer design, chassis design. Um, I don't do the artwork and I don't do the metal work. Uh, the, 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 well, I do the metal work drawing and then I give it to someone else who makes a better job of it. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't do the woodwork drawings. So, yeah, most of the, most of the design process and then I'll tweak it once once we've got a working prototype. 
they normally work as you you'll appreciate but they don't necessarily they're not exactly how you want them um but i'm sure that's the case for everyone or everyone mm -hmm. that does what we do Oh yes, that's 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 pretty normal. Normally, you have to make the prototype, then listen to it, and go, "God, that's not right." Okay, hang yeah. on, and tweak it, and yep. make some changes, and do another revision. <laughs> yep, and yep, another revision cool. sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah, 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 and uh, you know, get it to a point where you like it. Is the revision but all? All your amps are essentially lunch boxes, kind of. Yeah, a lot of the I mean, they're all the, small. Yeah, though. Yeah, I mean, even the even the hundred watt amps like the 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 VX hundred and the V one thirty, even the V one forty isn't big. V one forty is in a taller uh, sleeve just to give a bit of extra space for the reverb tank. Yeah, and you know, so that we can position it and try and keep it away from the transformer. Yeah, it's um, always hard in the head. It is, yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it would be. It so would be tempting, it'd be tempting to put um, a digital reverb circuit in there, but uh, yeah. people want people want a proper spring, so so it is a it's a nuisance um, <laughs> to put it mildly sometimes, but uh, we get there in the end. Right. Right. For sure. That's cool. I was going to ask, because I'm curious, Martin, how, how'd you get into all this? Um, it's it, it's a funny one because I'm not, uh, I've got no qualifications for electronics. I've got just an exam I came out of secondary school with, which was, we used to do O-levels, ordinary level exams. Um, so I got O-level physics, that's my qualification. And um, I played guitar for since I was 16. So I'd been playing about 10 or 11 years. And a friend of mine had done a, a master volume mod on a 100 watt Marshall. And it was the one out the tube amp book, Aspen Pittman's book. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a post phase splitter type uh, circuit. So I, that was really my first amp modification. I didn't know what I was doing, but it worked and it sounded okay. But what it did highlight, once I was able then to turn the the overdrive volume down on that particular, it was a hundred watt Marshall, um, was I, I found that it just it didn't sound right. There was something something um, something amiss, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I went through the the whole circuit and just visually. And eventually, after after lots of uh, head scratching, it turned out that it had actually been built wrong at the factory. Oh, I've um, never seen that. Yeah, I thought. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I routinely find old marshals like that. Like, oh, look at this one! They put point one caps across the entire board. Did they run out of? Point zero two twos. Yeah. Uh, marvelous. Wow. Yeah, but, <clears throat> but it was that kind of thing. Um, and where, where it was, unfortunately, it was a it was a super lead, 
it was a 1969 one as well. I mean, this is going back uh, 28, 29 years, and they weren't worth a lot of money, and they weren't popular then. Yeah. Um, so I got it for about eighty pounds. Oh wow! Yeah. So oh man. Really cool. <laughs> and uh, and the, the the problem was there was on the, once you get to I suppose it's like a mixer stage before the cathode follower, mm-hmm. and the cathode resistant would normally be eight twenty ohms or a one k there, and it was a ten k but hidden under a six eighty nanofarad, so I couldn't see the value of it, and that combination if you have a capacitor too too big across the 10k it, it sounds horrible you get some nasty harmonics and stuff going on there and that's that was the problem interesting well yeah. we have just one second uh martin sorry to interrupt you i just want to say uh john tome gave us a super chat he says i bought amps from both you guys this year thanks for the fantastic products oh nice one Thanks, John, for the uh, Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, Martin. I didn't want to interrupt you there, but um, no, I think I'd probably got to the the end of my point. But this, yes, I've I've heard all sorts of funny stories once because uh, I I was quite surprised to find that it had been, you know, that it was wrong. But um, I I've like Dave says, I've I've come across it since that uh, it's almost like they've in certain places they have run out of certain components, so they've just use something else um just to keep production going till they get a delivery yeah like i've seen plate resistors that are supposed to be 100ks and they're 82ks yeah literally every 100k resistor in the amp was an 82k because they ran out (laughs) yeah i've seen the front filtering stage miswired where one of the wires on the board was uh not from the last stage, but the one before in the last stage was just sitting there not doing anything. <laughs> All yeah. sorts of crazy stuff. Well, what I, I saw recently was the 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 point one caps across almost the whole board. <laughs> no, I'm like really that. original too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, I haven't seen that. I had a master volume. The so it's 1976 with. But with the, not with rocker switches, with the sort of plastic toggle mm-hmm. um, switches, so they had like a plastic lever on them. And the, after the phase splitter, that was uh, there were hundred nanofarads after there. But the the bias feed resistors were eighty two k, which I hadn't seen on anything else. Um, again, they must have run out two twenties. Mm-hmm. That's so wild. That's one good thing about, I guess, modern production is uh, a bit more consistency. Yeah. Yeah, those old amps, it's funny. People say, well, no two sound the same. I go, yeah, it's because no two are the same. (laughs) (laughs) If you make them the same, then they'll probably sound very close. (laughs) Yeah, very true, yes. And there's a lot, I don't know what your opinion is, but a, a lot of people rave about the, rave about the old amps and that there are probably as many bad ones as there are good ones and you can you're not guaranteed if you spend a lot of money on a you know on a 60s or 70s marshall you it's not guaranteed to sound good no Um, sometimes they need to 
be serviced and made the right spec that the person's looking for and and sometimes you need to, generally speaking, you can coax them into being good as long as they have, you know, a good set of transformers. Um, yeah, it's generally some other problem with the circuit or something. But some yeah. are a little bit better than others. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I have come across probably one or two in the time I've been sort of modifying or repairing them where they didn't sound great and i struggled with them mm -hmm. um, it was almost like there was you know because people were just wanting them really just to, to just to be up to the uh, standard they didn't need to be modified or anything like that but they just said this doesn't sound right and it was it was very difficult to to find out why they didn't sound good um but uh, that, that's probably that could have even be 20 years ago now so it may well be that now i might find the problem but nothing was nothing seemed wrong you know new the transformers were putting out the correct voltages the uh choke was right the filter caps were all new um all the components on the board were within you know what they were they were the correct values etc but some it just didn't sound good and mm -hmm. never got to the bottom of it um and it's yeah i, I don't I, i've never got to the bottom of it um I, I can describe the sound have you heard let there be rock i think it is by acdc mm -hmm. and can you remember the guitar sound on there it's, and it's got a slightly different it's a bit discordant to my ears the the overdrive and it was that only much worse, and uh, I never got to the bottom of why. Hmm. I'll have to go back and listen. Yeah, have a listen, and it's uh, if if you kind of get if you notice what I'm talking about, and that's the only way I can describe it is is discordant, hmm. um, even on single notes. It's uh, the the I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, it could be things like ceramic caps i suppose some of those old type ceramic caps can sound broken almost yeah um i don't mind you know some of the modern ones they're fine the mirata and things like that they're, they're okay but uh yeah some of them can sound quite uh um you know they they can seemingly withstand the right voltages and stuff like that but they they i don't know they're just physically I think something they probably even start to move when you get a, a, a reasonably large signal applied to them. Oh, something goes funny, but uh, I think that's uh, a thing that they, you know, just sometimes dance that they, they don't sound good. Interesting. So, so once you uh, got into the mod and everything like that, how did you, what took you down the path of building amps and from there? Um, it, it was a, a strange one. Uh, I probably built one or two uh, amps. And then I, I used to play in the local band. And Paul Cornford, um, he used to, he was a local, he used to sell used cars. And one of the other guys in the band used to go and visit him every week to 
redo the advert in the local paper. So, so the other guy in the band was worked for the local newspaper. He'd go and see Paul, and Paul had some pictures of guitars in his office. And so they got chatting, and the other guy in the band, Gordon, said, well, you should come see our band. And so I got to know Paul like that. And then one day, uh, we, I needed to buy a car from him. And so I went to see him. And he said, are you still doing guitar lessons, which is how I was making a living largely in those days. So I said, yes. And and I went round. we did some guitar lessons. And then one day I went to do his guitar lesson and he'd got hold of a nine. I think it was a 1961 Fender Princeton. So a tweed Princeton with a 10 inch speaker in it, slightly bigger than a champ, but the same circuit. And all we did all afternoon was play that rather than do any guitar lesson um, because it was brilliant. You could you could plug into it, turn everything, just turn all the volume up and all the uh, there was a tone control and that was it. So turn everything up to 10 and then do everything off the guitar's volume. And it, it would get a little bit, little bit bloated. So the bass response when you using overdrive was well it's probably fine but it's a, a valve rectifier so it would it would struggle a bit on the low end and sound a bit farty or however you describe it mm-hmm. um and uh so that then and because paul knew that i the the amps that he'd seen me using i'd modified myself he said do you think you could copy that and he, he sort of had an idea that perhaps he wanted to get out of the car trade and into something different I said, well, I can copy it, but I think it's probably not. It's only four and a half watts, but it's not practical. It's still too loud. You can still annoy people with four and a half watts. And so I said, I, I probably do some extra stuff and put a master volume and probably more of a tone circuit. And But the other thing I had to do was find out how to calculate the gap in the output transformer because it was a single-ended output stage. And because there's DC, you can saturate the the core. So I had to find out how big the gap between the E and the I laminations had to be. So so that was kind of a learning curve, a steepish learning curve, but worth it. Because mm. um, I I could design a push pull output transformer, but not the not the single ended one. So. Uh, uh, I ended up we we made the Harlequin, so that was the the first amp. That's that's roughly how it came about, really, um, and how I got into actually building amps because we made the Harlequin and got it reviewed in Guitarist magazine and went from there. What year is this? That was ninety eight, I think, when it actually got reviewed. So probably from uh, through ninety seven, I did some prototypes of the of the Harlequin, and I think we tried it with a single EL34. We tried the first output transformer. When I took the drawing to the transformer company, I think they hadn't quite understood the purpose of the output transformer and thought that it would have mains on it. And so they said that they would have to do it on a dual section bobbin and all the rest of it which meant the flux linkage was terrible 
and the top end response was quite smooth actually because it, of the poor flux linkage but because it was so bad um if you there were certain notes high freak high frequency or higher on the guitar register so it's not even high frequency um where uh, i had to put a diode between the anode of the el84 we used and the chassis because i'd get an arc <laughs> otherwise and that was just down to them not understanding what was required of the output transformer so I, I i had to go back and say this is this is probably dangerous this output transformer and yeah. um so they they made it again but on the with concentric uh, sections and then um so that was the output transformer sorted and then i just made uh, a few prototypes until we got one we sound that we like the sound of wow that's awesome yeah cause i remember uh getting guitarist magazine and total guitar magazine back in those days and yeah. seeing chord for corn for amps and the reviews and the ads and everything there yeah so that was never played one though until i saw one used in a guitar center one day um that was like the only time i was like oh wow a corn for them <laughs> it's like what a surprise i did play through it it sounded great it was very uh marshallish which one was that would that be an mk50 perhaps or was it honestly i don't remember what it was but i just you know it was just there in the use section i and i plugged into it don't, mk50 don't sounded good yeah the amp sounded great. that was a good amp so that's cool so how long were you with cornford then um well we, uh i think we we were going for about 10 years i suppose something like that um yeah so paul and i started it and yeah i suppose we went from two of us working in in the he had a double garage in the bottom of his garden to begin with and then uh, we moved to some industrial premises nearer and uh yeah that was uh that's as uh, as advanced i suppose as it got and we had probably what do we have one two three four five about seven or eight amps on on in the catalog if you can call it a catalog <laughs> um but uh, by the end um but uh, things went pear-shaped and a group of people that thought it was a shame that cornford had disappeared but believed that i would be able to design I should continue doing so as well. Uh, amps um, sort of got behind it. And so none of them were, you know, none of them are loaded in terms of that, you know, none of them are particularly rich guys, but they just thought, well, I can, I'm prepared to offer X amount to get you started. And so that's really how it all, all started again uh, as victory. Hmm. Oh, is this uh, the guys that the straight edge basically were they involved or um well i work for um straight for, edge um, right for straight edge yes so my yeah. um i'm i'm the designer at um full victory but i i work for straight edge and so they do make the 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 victory amps yeah yeah now does um, andertons have anything to do with the victory no, it's quite a common 
question. Now, Lee, um, I've known Lee since my, uh, my corn for days, and he particularly liked, he, he used to do quite well with the MK50 Mark II, so that's the one that had the clean channel as well, and the Carrera, which was like the Harlequin. It was a single-ended output stage, but there you could switch between uh, an EL84 or 6L6 or whatever you wanted to put in there, really. Um, and so his, his involvement, if you can call it that, is that I will very often, almost always, pick his brains in terms of when I've got a new design, what do you think? Will it sell? And so, and I, I, I'll just um, sort of get him to, I suppose, yeah, advise um, because I might think it sounds okay. And, and you know, with Cornford, that's, you know, when I thought it was ready, then it was ready. Um, or, you know, when Paul and I thought it was ready, it was, it was ready. Um, but now I think there are, I think that the trouble is people, they're not misled, but I think they've got uh, a funny idea, perhaps, or, uh, you know, they've got a strange idea, perhaps, of what a, a certain amp sounds like. Um, so uh, I'll give an example, because I think it's quite a good example. Um, Dave's designs are the kind of Marshall-esque, but they're much more user-friendly and they sound, and I'll be honest, I've only ever managed to plug into a PT-20, um, but I've been in the room when I've heard um, others played and they, and I think Dave does the same as me. They, they, they've got to sound good at all volumes and it's an important thing that when you're when you've come up with a new design it's almost got to have it's got to be able to be used at a gig but it's got to have the demo room sound as well so if you're if you go into a shop uh, or a store and say i'd like to try this amplifier and they kind of lock you in a little booth that's you know four foot by four foot um you've got to be able to get a sound at a low volume and a lot of people um are under the impression that they you know they'll hear a a proper old 100 watt marshall or 50 watt marshall on a record and they don't really know how that comes about and they don't know that that amplifier has been turned up really loud and and if you went to try one of those in this day and age, if you were put in a in a, a in a demo booth, and then and you turned it up to sound like that, you'd get told off, and the the shop bloke could be in there telling you to turn your amp down. Can you turn it down, please? Because I can't hear me myself talking on the phone or whatever. Um, so you've got to these days make an amplifier that can be used at all all volume levels and have a good sound. I think, and uh, so that's uh, I, I always try and. It, and it's not an artificial thing because some people may only be able to afford one amplifier. And so that you've got to make it, you know, even if it is a hundred watt amplifier, it might have to be their practice amp too. Mm. So it's got to sound, you've got to try and get it to sound good and feel good as well at low, 
low volumes as well as high volumes. And so, you know, that, that's always a, um, a thing I'm conscious of. And even though I think I've got, got it right, I, I do like to get other people's opinions. Um, Market research is a good thing. Yeah, it is. It's 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 necessary. Um, I say we we managed okay, really without it, um, or without the without market research to the 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 level that we do it at Victory. But um, I think it, it's it's a, a necessity um, just to uh, because if you build an amp, and Dave will know this, you, you'll 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 know how to set it up. And you'll know what to do to get the sound that you want and the feel that you want. But um, what you have to do is, and sometimes it's very difficult not to try and interfere, but sometimes you have to just give it to someone and let them do what they want with it and then see if a good sound comes out. Um, I, I always sort of say uh, if you can set everything at half, yep. well, half, and it, right away you get a good sound that's a good thing you know <clears throat> or at least that's a good thing for the average person because the average person might do that and yeah, um, that's right um so i always kind of keep that in mind but everything else you said the feel at lower volumes and and all of that is exactly the same way i feel so yeah yeah i think it's you know because uh, if somebody doesn't have to if somebody's not having to fight with their guitar that uh, the the overall experience of trying that that, that amplifier in in a shop will then encourage them to buy it you know if it's got the, the kind of sound they're after and it's actually making their job easier then um i i think that goes a long way because i've 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 been to shops with my friends over the years and you know they've plugged in and and i'm listening and i'm thinking that's a good sound and then i have a go and it's actually the amps hard work right and so so you have to think well that you know they that could be made easier um but it um i think some manufacturers have the facility to you know probably even have people in the you know members of staff that can play all instruments so they can actually put the amp into a band situation um, as part of the R&D at the factory. Um, but then the, the trouble is that only tells you whether the amp works live and works at high volumes. Right. So I, I, I think uh, what Dave does, I believe, and what, what I do is you've got to be able to do that with an amp too. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Hey, we've got a super chat from Freaks Arise Richwood. I appreciate that. Um, he says, Martin, I've been building tube amps for a few years at home. I've been trying to learn about SMPS like in your V4 preamp pedals, but it seems to be a most challenging topic to find. Can you give any insights? Uh, uh, well, I'm... <laughs> Good luck. Interesting because they're a nuisance. Those things, and we we use switch mode supply for to get the high voltage uh, on on all of the V4 pedals. That's been fine, but um, uh, 
yeah, I don't know because I'm not very expert. Um, I've managed to get some that work and I know how they work. But um, the, the biggest nuisance is noise problems um, with uh, interference kind of getting along earth, earth uh, like on the copper pore, you know, you have to be careful if you, if you ground something to an earth plane or a ground plane that um, you, you, sometimes you'll get interference there which won't i mean those things switch at you know over 250 kilohertz 500 kilohertz but, and which is you wouldn't hear that but um sometimes they manifest themselves in other ways with the, the way that they the the chips themselves the switching chips control themselves and so you get all sorts of horrible noises and they're a nuisance um and i the only advice with those that I can offer is that uh, the earthing separate. So for so for any voltage, so with the high voltage, we've got a switch mode supply on those. For the nine volts, we've got a switch mode supply, and I'm I'm trying to keep all the earths or all, all the grounds separate, so that um, it doesn't get find its way into the audio. Um, that's about all I can say, really. Yeah. That, that my my circuits—they're not mind blowing. They're just literally. Um, I'll look at a, a data sheet and look at how it is. A, you know how you're advised to use it, and do the calculations to get the voltages I want. Um, so, I'm probably doing exactly the same thing as. Um, his name's disappeared, but I'm doing, I would imagine I'm doing exactly the same thing as, as him or he's doing the same as me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, sometimes they can be a nuisance, um, but I don't know what, uh, if he's, if he's got a particular problem, but uh, the internet's very handy. And, and also that, you know, if you want to sort of get more in depth, there are even lectures on boost converters or buck converters uh, and how they, how they work. <laughs> um, I mean, we use a, a chip for the high voltage. We use a chip called a, a max one, seven, seven, one, which is handy just because you don't need many other components with it. And so then you can, it doesn't take up much space on the board. Um, yeah, so it's, that's not much advice, but I just know that they can be a nuisance because I'm currently experiencing that. And, uh, and you know, have a look, have a look on the internet and see what you can find. But keep the earth if you can keep the earth separate and keep it away from. Although you do, they're surprisingly not as the, the interference you get radiated stuff from the inductors and things like that that you think might get picked up by a valve or something like that. They, they don't seem to be too bad for that. It's actually the, the switching noise, I believe, that is finding its way, you know, along the ground plane. So separate earths for any 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 of the voltages. So if you've got high voltage switch mode circuit, keep that earth separately to the chassis, um, if that helps. No, that's great. Great yep. Thank you. Uh, 
Wyatt Willis, thanks for the super chat. Thanks for doing this, guys. Mr. Kid, love all your amps. For Dave, did the SL67 you modded a couple months ago have a full-wave bridge rectification like a 100-watt? Is this a hassle we'll do on a 50-watt plexi? Um, I never modded an SL67. So. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't... So I don't know, but an SL67, from what I'm told, although I have never been in one, uh, is a full-wave bridge, unlike normal 50-watt amp would be. <laughs> um, there's no need to mod an old amp to be the full wave bridge. There's no real purpose. I mean, just just leave it. It's not going to be uh, a crazy difference. Mm. You know, you'd okay. have to have a custom transformer done if you did that. Yeah. So, or you could use a hundred watt transformer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Vivhas Patel, thanks for the super chat. Uh, David Martin, to what extent does voltage affect an amp? I played several, uh, played the same make of an amp for both 120 volt and 230, and they sound a bit different. Do you have an alter your? Do you have to alter your designs to fix this? Well, here's the thing: I don't think really the voltage is any different. It's the hertz yeah. that causes it to sound maybe slightly different. Although I've heard my amps in both, like I've heard my amps in England, I've heard my amps in different places, and they don't sound that much different to me. <clears throat> um, um, because you got to understand, it, it's basically the transformer is just converting the voltage to the voltages that you need. So if it's set at 120, it just receives 120 volts and then gives you whatever those voltages are in of the transformer out. If it's you switch it to 240, it's the same voltages out, so yeah. it's the same. The only difference is the hertz. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to explain that though. Maybe Martin can explain that better. No, I can't. Okay, well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the only thing I would say, um, is that whilst you might think you're getting 120 volts or 110 volts out of the wall. Um, uh, I have come across, uh, I've had a few emails over the years where people have, they've kind of complained or noticed that their amps, you know, they bought it from the UK, uh, and then they've just literally taken it to the US, uh, put the proper mains fuse in it switch the voltage selector to work at 120 and switched it on, um, thinking that it's being supplied with 120. But sometimes the, the wall voltage is uh, possibly 127, seems to be a common. Um, so it's high. So the plate voltage is high. But it may be that then the bias voltage is more negative and so the, the amp's actually cold biased, and it's not because it's been incorrectly biased from the factory. It just needs to be set up. Um, so there's, depending on how loud you run the amp, there, there's that could be one explanation. Um, I, And possibly the mains frequency, because the US is 60 hertz. Mm -hmm. So in theory, the transformer runs a bit cooler. It's not working as hard because of the higher frequency mains input. Um so that that may 
it may mean the transformer can work more efficiently um, in the US. But to be honest, uh, um, as uh, Dave pointed out, I've heard my amps in the UK and in the US, and I can't really hear a lot of difference. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing too, yeah, is uh, like even when we ship amps to various countries, generally what is really the voltage in those countries is the question. Yeah. Uh, I, I know there's supposed to be a standard of 230 volts. Yeah. I find that that is just not the case. Generally speaking, no, um, generally it's higher. Yeah. Um, and like in Australia, it's really high. Yeah. Even, even over 240 sometimes. Oh, but well, um, in, in where I'm sitting here, um, I could probably, uh, it's night or it's dark now, so everyone's got their lights and stuff. But uh, during the day, I can measure 250 coming out of the wall here. See, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and it's crazy for a U.S. manufacturer, you're trying to set these amps to be at the proper voltage. But the funny thing and the bias, you know, is set at a certain voltage. So, I mean, for us, that would be 120 or 240. Yeah. Unless the country is specifically a 220 volt country, and then we switch it to 220. But then I always doubt what it is. I always have people measure, and and I've heard all sorts of stories. Yeah. So most amps we set at 240, and that's where we set them amp. But realistically, the amp should sort of be biased for once it's in the country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, that's the better idea. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, because uh, if you ship, you know, you ship an amp that's 240 uh, and then it's it's really 230 in the country, that's 10 volts less, your bias is going to be low, your plate voltage is a little lower, but you could get your bias up and, you know, sound better. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. Um, uh, and it's, I don't know, it's difficult. I suppose we understand that, um, but some... I suppose unless you've, well, you can't really, you, you can't have a, well, so I say you can't, a lot of, there are manufacturers, I think the Mesa Boogie were well known for it, uh, and and the 5150, the early, or the, the first 5150s, the bias wasn't adjustable, mm -hmm. um, and they work, and they're, they're not going to sound terrible, but they're not necessarily going to be uh, at their optimum. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Servando Flores, thanks for the super chat. Martin, the VX100 and the V140 are the best amps I've ever played along with the BE100 Deluxe. Thanks so much for what you do. Can you give any insight on the process, design process for the VX100? The VX100... Um, that was that was the instance when I was told shall or uh, you know it was put to me shall we make uh, an amplifier a metal amplifier um, that can do classic rock but also the the high gain fifty one fifty type sound and so I said yes because I like that challenge as soon as soon as somebody says. Um, uh, you know, can you do this? Then I say yes, and then I decide how I'm going to do it. But 
the thing for me is always one thing I definitely know when given a new design brief is that I'm not going to copy anyone else's design because um, I get no satisfaction from it. So, um, you know, some people will they've come to me at the NAM show and they say, so the VX100, that's a, that's a copy of a, a, a JCM 800 and a copy of a 5150 in one box. And that isn't the case, but those kinds of sounds are what I'm after. Um, so that, that, so the, the, the design process was really, I came up, I made a prototype. It was actually a, a, an amp prototype that I already had and I just modified it. Um, and then Rabir Massad, who you've probably seen in a lot of the VX100 or Kraken videos, mm -hmm. um, was given the onerous task of uh, critiquing my work. And it didn't take too long, actually. Didn't uh, You know, I think I'd got fairly close to what we, we were after. Um, the one thing that I perhaps missed, misunderstood or missed the point is very popular thing with a V uh, with the um, with a a metal amp or or an amp used for metal is people love a tube screamer um, to tighten the sound even if it's fairly tight sounding already. Um, people love to to have that that thing that just uh, rolls off some more bass helps the attack helps that feel in the hand so we um i didn't want to pinch a tube screamer circuit and there wasn't room for it so i used a, a high voltage fet um to get to get that sound um but uh yeah to the 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 idea was uh rabia's favorite setup was a marshall jcm 900 dual reverb and so i said to him that the the, the overdrive there that's all it's like a it might as well be a marshall governor with a power amp um that's that's a little bit unfair but it's it gets you in the it gives you the idea that the the overdrive channel on on the jcm well the, the preamp on the JCM 900 is uh, largely solid state until you get to the tone stack. Um, so I had to point that out and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to use valves. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got something that sounded, I didn't really go for that sound. I kind of wanted just a classic rock martially, not very high gain. Um, one that you could perhaps, if you wanted to, do a whole gig with just uh just the lower gain sound uh on the on the, on the kraken uh, as it was to begin with um so uh that, that was the that was the idea that was the thinking if you like behind the 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 gain one and then gain two the higher gain i wanted to get something like the 5150 sound but not use loads of valves, uh, not use loads of 12AX7s uh, in the preamp uh, that I don't know. I, I, I don't know why there are so many. Um, 
I mean, the fifth actually, the original fifty-one fifty only had five, I think, in the amp. But uh, you don't need lots of valve stages to to get that kind of overdrive. You can get in more than enough gain, I'm sure, with just four stages. And so that was something I thought was important not to not to go overboard with um, loads of preamp valves just to give the impression from a marketing point of view that there's lots of valves therefore there's lots of gain because you don't you, you only need four stages and you know perhaps if you want to add a fifth stage or a cathode follower to drive the tone stack but uh, so that that was kind of my thinking um, it was a sound that I was after and I had a good idea already when I was um, you know when it was suggested that uh, what, shall we do a metal amp I thought yeah we can do that and I've got a good idea how to do it and so that was that was pretty much it and then just taking it and you know getting Rabia's opinion um, because it's the kind of music he plays Mm -hmm. um, and he's, you know, he's got baritone guitars, and and he, it's just something he's better at. Um, you know, I can, I there's the, a lot of that stuff, the gent stuff that I I don't do. Um, I could, I suppose, if I wanted to sit down and develop a technique, but it's not something I do. And so it's just handy to have somebody that does do it and somebody that can then take a prototype off to other players of that ilk and producers of that ilk to, to see what they think of it. So, again, the market research um, from from that side of it was, was interesting, um, and particularly with the, with the original Kraken, uh, people would immediately have a tube screamer at hand almost like putting salt on your dinner before you've tasted it you know mm -hmm. they, they, it's almost something that they feel is is almost um that it's got to be there and just to, to switch on even if uh you know even before they they've, they've listened sometimes or they'll, or they'll do a little bit and then they'll put the tube screamer on and, and they're happy um, <laughs> yeah yeah, a lot of people and like it's not, it's not about extra gain even or anything like that. It's the EQ thing and the and the sort of right. just tighten up the bass end even further. Mm -hmm. Hey, I just want to um, I, I pulled up your web website. I figured I, I'd share um the website for you guys so you guys can some of their products. Um, so you want, you want to talk about some of these things, maybe, Martin? Um, if you like, yes. Yeah, sure. Um, so what's the what is Duchess? Can you tell us about that? Well, the Duchess, uh, originally, the, the first amp, if you like, in that family was the V40. And the, the idea was really to make a, a clean amplifier that would overdrive a little bit, but was really an amplifier that would suit people that got the sound from pedals or that did uh, lots of different sorts of gigs where they need an amplifier, but not, not one. It's almost like a blank canvas. Most of what they what you hear coming out, isn't the amp. It's the, the pedals that they use. So 
the 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 original V40 was a lunchbox pedal platform amp is the best way to put it. Um, and then we did a deluxe version because the the trouble with a lunchbox amp is even if people go to a shop and plug in and like it, sometimes they can't bring themselves to buy it because it doesn't look very traditional. Um, you, you get people that would come in and they'd be after something Fendery. And so they would try Fenders and they'd try this and that and they'd try a V40. And the V40 wouldn't necessarily be the one that they'd go for. And we discovered it was partly because of its appearance. And so the deluxe, we decided that we'd just add some more features that's uh, expected, perhaps, or associated with that kind of amplifier. So we we added on the deluxe, we added tremolo and a spring reverb um, instead of the the digital what's on the V40 lunchbox. And then the the Duchess was uh, the the V4 powered pedal. Uh, we talked about having uh, like a power amp, if you like, for mm -hmm. people's um, uh, V4 pedals. Um, but that the, the 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 Duchess came about because we thought, well, it would be handy to have a pedal platform amp that would fit on a pedal board. Mm. And so that that's how that came about. It's got a very similar preamp to the to the V40. Interestingly, the mid-range on the V uh, the V4 pedal platform amp, the Duchess that you can see the picture of there, is uh, there's a lot more available in the mid-range than on the heads themselves, and I think that's because the plate voltage on the on the valves they're different valves for a start, so they, we use a an EC900 and then three. EF91s or CV4014s in the preamp of the powered pedal there. And uh, because of the lower plate voltage, the the waveform distorts differently when it starts to distort. And so you get uh, a nicer mid-range where there's more of it um, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the pop. Um, so that, that's really how that whole family of amplifiers is uh, is designed at people that want a pedal platform um, or that want to be able to make an easy fly rig. Gotcha. And then the jack's pretty similar to that. Yeah, the jack is the jack was where it all started. Really, was the V30 that we made for Guthrie um, that wanted. Uh, an amplifier that would fit in an easy jet overhead locker. Um, so the, the first thing was the footprint. That was the most important thing. It had to be no bigger than whatever it is. And, and just had two channels, a clean and an overdrive channel. Um, and then the, the, uh, the jack pedal came about because if, uh, that, I mean, the, the V4 pedals are designed to take over the preamp of your existing amplifier. Um, so they really, they work best if your amp's got an effects loop um, because you can then, it, it switches um, so that your signal goes through the, the V4 and into the P 
power amp of your whatever amplifier you have. And then when you turn it off, you'll then you bypass that pedal and, you're, and the signal chain is just as it would be normally. Um, so if you've got an amplifier, say you might have, um, I'll try and find it. Say, for instance, you might have a, say, a reissued JCM 800. Some of those have got loops. And so then you've got uh, a higher gain sound and a clean sound if you added one of those to your JCM 800. Right, right, right. Um, mm -hmm. That's cool. Uh, as an example. So that, that's how the, that family of amplifiers, so the Jack series, was the, the V30. I think they called it a Countess. So I'm not, I'll be quite honest with you, I can't remember how some of the names of our amplifiers came about in the early days, but the, the Jack, visually, the, the graphics fit uh, better, but it is that amplifier and that pedal is, is more of a jack-of-all-trades type of, it's a clean sound and an overdrive sound. And uh, and that's what, uh, you know, it, it's just a, a useful tool. Well, there you go, jack of all trades, or if it yeah. fits the name, yeah. right? Um, and then we got the Copper Series, the Sheriff Series, yeah. and then the Kraken Series. Um, yeah. So how do those three differ? The, the one popular question when I'd be on the band, because Victory doesn't have a signature sound per se. Most Victory amplifiers, all Victory amps, probably bar the V30, are my take on a particular style of amplifier. People would say, uh, what's the closest you've got to um, an AC30, a Vox AC30? And I'd say, well, we, we don't have anything like that. And so that's how the Copper Series came about. Um, so that's got four EL84s. In high power, though, uh, we've got a mixture of biotin technologies. So it's not just cathode biased, it's fixed bias as well. Only because um, the, we use a transformer and the core size is what you'd expect, in fact, for a 50 watt amplifier, the actual core area. Um, but um, running that cathode bias, that could get quite hot still for EL84s because of the other windings. We've got a low voltage winding and a bias winding. Um, so um, but that the idea of that amplifier is is to try and elicit something voxy. But vox, you know, an AC30 sound could be Hank Marvin and a kind of, you know, our version of surf music, I suppose, or it yeah. could be Brian May. So there's, yeah. that's quite a vast uh, spectrum of, of guitar tone. So in, in that, that, ideally, you can probably find something you're looking for something vox inspired that you're looking for within that uh in 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 that amplifier we do the lunchbox version that doesn't have a tremolo and it has just a digital reverb and then that one's got the spring and and uh, a tremolo that modulates the output valve bias um so that's how that came about just uh, you know because people asked <laughs> So right. 
and then the sheriff that kind of speaks for itself i would imagine just just because of the the color scheme um but again that was my my take on a on a marshal um just uh, my idea was to be able to get a marshal sound but have control over the volume really mm -hmm. it's not uh it's different to dave's approach and on that amplifier and uh, it's a thing i've used actually on the v40 um amps the also on the copper and on the sheriff there is a post phase splitter master volume because a lot of when you hear power amp distortion a lot of that power amp distortion is the phase splitter and not just the output valves yes. and so that's what the 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 sheriff has is a post phase splitter master volume but that has thrown a spanner in the works with the fact that it's got uh, an effects loop um but to me that was a, a good way of getting uh, a martially sound so it's not very high gain i don't think yeah. um but it's got I, I tried to get that sort of uh, it's a cleaner overdrive, but with the touch sensitivity that you can get from, say, a 50-watt Marshall yes. turned up, um, mm -hmm. you know, loud. So that was the idea. Uh, and, you know, so it's not like um, Dave's approach to getting that sound is different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and probably... Uh, yeah, it's it's a different. I think I wasn't going for for so much of a uh, the higher gain sounder because I I think Dave's amps have got that lovely smooth sound at all volumes, whereas the the sheriff hasn't initially. So people sometimes will plug in and expect uh, the kind of higher gain hot rodded Marshall sound, and the and the sheriff initially doesn't have that. You just got to kind of get used to it. Yeah. Um, and you know, used to the feel of it, but, uh, mm -hmm. but that, yeah, that was my that was the idea just something that sounded martially but with control over the volume. And then, then you have the Kraken series, yeah, which I sort of went uh, right, I sort of went through a little bit earlier, but that's uh, um, and then the the artist series, which we only have one of those, is the RK, um which I think I've got a feeling because that was kind of designed. There was a kind of remote design process. I, I made a prototype, sent it to Richie. And then he said he liked this and that about it. And uh, one thing was he wanted, he definitely wanted one tone control. And uh, so I tried to be clever and do something that affected the mid range and the treble and, that amp sounds amazing. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, I yes, I worked. I worked on his. Yes, I know. You, yes, that's right. I just you a did valve, just a preamp tube. Yeah. Yes, and uh, but also I I've got a feeling um, he thought there was something wrong. There was something offensive about the treble. And what? Uh, Oh, yes, I know what it was. It, it was to do with uh, the, I don't know if you've noticed on some high-gain amps, you get um, 
the you get a half like somebody's got a wire pedal and they've just sort of rolled it back a little bit from the oh, treble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that amp had that kind of artifact, if you like, that thing about the tone which he wasn't keen. But it was really a lack of communication. When you're talking about sound, mm -hmm. the sound of something, it, it's very it's difficult to um sometimes understand the adjectives people are using yes and i think he he during the design process i think he was rehearsing near your workshop possibly and i think mm -hmm. he popped in to say what do you think of this and i think you couldn't actually find anything wrong with it but um all of a sudden it dawned on me that's what he was talking about that kind of half cocked wah pedal sound Mm -hmm. And so what I got him to do was actually just take a pair of pliers inside and snap off two capacitors. Mm -hmm. And that got rid of it because uh, I put like a small one on a cathode resistor um, on the third gain stage. And then I'd put one across the anode resistor just to roll off some of the treble boost. That it yeah, got. yeah. But it kind of, it gave, uh, it gave Opened a sort it of peak. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like that, it opened it up, it flattened out the the frequency response. Yeah, that was that, that. Just sounded. I mean, when you cranked it up uh, through my cabinet, it sounded really great right away. So yeah, thank you very much. I thought it was cool sounding. I I, I love the simplicity. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I think I don't know. I I I'll be absolutely honest with you. When he said about one tone control, I was concerned, but I thought. People like he's got a huge fan base, so people are will be interested. And then tremolo, and all of that. If it was a clean amp, that then it made sense to me. But yeah. the fact that we wanted to be able to also get a lead sound from the amplifier, that I thought there was quite a, a unique set of uh, a unique um, feature set, I suppose. But um, so I was, I was dubious. <laughs> I <have to> <laughs> but, if I'm honest, but um, and of course the RK hundred is an, an entirely different amp. That is uh, very much like a, a Marshall Super Lead, um, but it's got one input, and if you want to bridge, you know the the bridging thing where you go from the bottom left to the top right mm -hmm. input with the patch cable. Um, it doesn't do that, but but we you just literally one run the normal channel and the the brighter channel in parallel. So there, there's no attenuation of the input signal, mm -hmm. um, and you can also switch out that bright cap that on the treble channel of the super leads, which um, I think there was a video on Instagram. Of Richie, and he was—he just propped his phone up somewhere, I think, and said, and just plugged it into a four by twelve cabinet. Said, right, let's give this a go, and he was sort of knelt down by the, you know, about a foot away from the speaker cabinet, and he um, just turned up the the high treble <laughs> channel, and it nearly knocked him over because it's that they're they're spiteful. Um, so what we did on the on the second iteration was put. It's got a post phase splitter master, 
So if you don't want it there, just turn the master all the way up and then it's like it's not there. And I put a switch on it to get rid of the um, that bright capacitor across the, because it's five nanofarads across the volume control. So you can switch that out and yeah. it's a little less spiteful. No, right, right. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Unless you have those all the way up, that's very painful. <laughs> it is. I think you've got to go. I, I think you've probably got to be on those past about two o'clock. Then, yeah. Then it's getting then it's okay. Then it's okay. But yeah, before that, it's they're they're really they are spiteful. A <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, question from Wyatt Willis: Can um, you talk about the signature prototype you built for Zach Wild? Uh, I can. Um, it was really cosmetic was the only difference uh, between that and his because he loves a jcm 800 and so i built literally that i built a jcm 800 master volume circuit uh the power supply circuit was slightly different higher plate voltage four sixty-five fifties, and just the that when i say it was cosmetic both the output and mains transformer were potted, and to have the uh, the I think it was I think it was black label audio was going to go on them. I can't remember. It's I can't remember. It's a different the, the company name. I think changed since I built or his company name changed, um, and. What else was different? Power supply was slightly different, as I, I said, and just the layout of the valves, so that the the four output valves had three gaps, and so in in each gap, a preamp valve went. So when you looked, not actually right in each gap, but um, but they were a certain distance away from the output valve. So we had to inside put a screening bracket. <clears throat> because the output valve circuit would have been far too close to the preamp circuit. And it, you know, if you cranked it up past a certain point, it became unstable. And so but that's it. Otherwise it's, there was, there was nothing different uh, between that and the standard, you know, JMP master volume circuit that they put in the JCM 800s in the seventies. I cool. made a prototype also. Did you? You made one for him. Yeah. All right. I I, um, I did something for him too, and it, it the business model was a little weird. What he wanted to do, so it never really came into fruition, and and he wanted it at a certain price point that was hard to reach. Oh, that's interesting. So you probably did yours much later than I did mine. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I would think so. And then I think I haven't tried one of because uh, he's got a range of guitars and amplifiers now, and I haven't tried the amplifiers because it's it always amazes me that his sound is really a JCM eight hundred and an overdrive pedal. Yeah, it's an overdrive, which I, it's like a Boss overdrive. I think. Well, originally, it? yeah, it was this Boss Super Overdrive, but then MXR made a version of it for him. That's right, yeah. 
but yeah. it's the same circuit, I think. Yeah. The prototype I built uh, has that pedal in it. Oh right. Okay. Switchable. So. Yeah. Interesting. But, uh, no, that's quite interesting. That is. I didn't know you'd done that. So that's uh, something we have in common, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've known Zach a long time, so. All right. But uh, yes, it, 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 the business model didn't work, so. No. Here's a question from Plexico. Thanks for the super chat. Uh, greetings, gang. Any Guthrum Govan insight on Antones over the years? Uh, it's a funny one, actually. I don't think... Uh, yeah. I think it really for Guthrie, um, I'm just trying to think what his first... I think the first amp he had that I made was an mk50 um and so he would uh yeah so the mk50 it had it was really a one channel amplifier uh with with a switchable gain boost and two master volumes and so to get a clean sound you'd have to put it on the lower gain setting so switch the boost off and probably put it on the higher master volume setting and then do do things off the the volume control of the guitar um and then we he he played in the town where i live whitstable um he came down with the fellowship which was his kind of jazz band i suppose um jazz fusion band and we had Probably the first, I'm just trying to think whether, it, I think it may well have been the first production Hellcat. And so that was our EL84 based output stage and um, two channels, kind of a crunchy channel and a, and a higher gain channel with spring reverb. Um, and I, he used that with a, a 335, which was an unusual combination um, to see Guthrie with at the time, and and he, that was one of the nicest tones I've I've heard him, uh, heard him get, but that was, I haven't seen him play live a lot. Um, I've seen him, you know, I've seen recordings of it, but you know, by the time the guitar sound finds its way out the front, um, things have been done, um, to to EQ it, take the lower end off if necessary, etc. So, um, but I don't know, Guthrie gets a sound and I think for him, I'm guessing that it's not just about the tone. I think it's, you know, if he gets a tone he's happy with, that's fine, but it's then all about um, uh, the, the feel of it. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if it's a, a sound that, in, I'm not saying that people rely on a, heaps of gain to cover up bad technique because obviously that isn't Guthrie he's mm -hmm. um, he doesn't do that but, um, he's, he's an amazing player yeah I mean it's yes yeah. um, it'd be very interesting to see what goes on in his mind <laughs> um, uh, when he's playing um I, I think it would be very interesting indeed and interesting probably in a similar way to 
uh, Alan Holdsworth. You know, the, uh, although Guthrie's guitar playing to me is far more accessible than Alan Holdsworth. Mm. Um, I think the thought process is going on in those two players, it would be fascinating if they could even explain it. And, and perhaps they, they don't really, it's just something they do. Um, but yes, yeah, so Guthrie, you know, he, he has certain requirements and there's certain things he likes. Um, and when we, we, when we develop the MK, uh, not the MK, the V30 Mark II, uh, victory, uh, we'd sort of, gone a long way developing it you know we decided that we would add this that and the other and then we thought well perhaps it would be a good idea for Guthrie to have a play through it just to see what his opinion is and I think we the Mark II was so far removed from the Mark I that it was it was a very good idea to get uh, to get Guthrie involved and we should have done it at the beginning and saved ourselves a lot of time and prototyping um, because, it, you know, he immediately pointed out that it was really a long way removed and, and some of the things um, really, um, it was such, it, it, it didn't fit the name V30 Mark II. I think that was the, you know, it was okay as an amplifier in its own right, but it was so far different from the, the Mark I version and so there were lots of things that I took out because the Mark I version doesn't have any negative feedback. Um, and, you know, there were a few things. I think it was quite a bassy amplifier. Uh, and that was in an effort, really. It's probably the wrong way to go about it, but it worked for Guthrie. And so we left it. But it's quite bassy. And... Uh, the the original Mark One, a lot of people would struggle with with that, or even think that it was uh, that it had a problem. Um, because, but it, the idea was that um, to to try and get a big sound out of a little box, mm -hmm. and that may seem a funny way to to go about it, but um, it it kind of worked, and it worked for Guthrie, and that was the that was the main thing that Guthrie was able to use it, but other players would buy them and they they'd like them but there there would be some people would have an issue with the amount of low end which i've heard dave talk about um on some of on some of your designs dave you like to that's something you bear in mind that you don't want too much base end or not in the preamp well, yeah, the problem, generally speaking, with too much gain, gain in a preamp is it starts getting muddy yep. and and you want to limit the low-end frequencies, just sort of like the Tube Screamer does for metal guys. Yep. Um, um, and doing that, I think you get a better tone at a lower volume. Yes. You know, that's that's what I've discovered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels easier to use because mm -hmm. um, uh, you get that attack. You know, the, yeah. uh, the, the, you know, it doesn't get masked by the bass frequencies, but also I think the power supply can respond quicker. Yeah, I, I find that if there's too much low on in the front end, a lot of times um, on higher gain things, uh, it sounds like um, the notes the notes are just to put it simply sort of tripping over each other they're not yeah. 
they're they can't it's not flowing properly <laughs> yeah no i think that's quite a good uh, description of it actually mm -hmm. and i've i've heard that i've i've even heard people's guitar sounds live where i'm just trying to think one in particular it just came across um it may have been i think it may have been but don't quote me on this even though i'm going to say it on the internet um i think i would i went to see thin lizzy and mm. the guitar sound scott gorham had seemed to be and it may have been just how it was coming through the pa but it seemed to be uh suffering from that um or the way it was coming across but i know what you mean it it is almost like the the gain is you know people want the overdrive to get the sustain and to make things easier and to allow certain techniques to be used that with a clean sound they just wouldn't work mm -hmm. but sometimes too much gain if there's too much low end all of a sudden it's counterproductive and it, and it, yeah like you say it fights against itself and and it and the amp trips over itself yeah and can't keep up almost interesting we uh we got andrew tins yeah uh, question from Martin. What's up? I assume this is Lee or one of the crew. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, question for Martin. Is there an artist that you've not worked with, but you'd love to design an amp for? And why'd you pick that artist? Um, well, the, the obvious, well, not the obvious, uh, the obvious answer to anyone that knows me, of course, would have been Eddie Van Halen. Um, but um, otherwise, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one because I like so many guitar players and for uh, in so many genres and so many that I think get a great sound for what for their style of music. So that's a very tricky one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, very tricky. I, do, I don't know that I, I have an answer for that. Um, Yes, might have to be one of those come back to me because I, I, I don't know, um, if I'm honest. Who, okay. Yeah, because there, I, I, there are so many guitar players that you know, blues players, shredders, um, just sort of um, classic rock players, and you know, I think it'd be fun for anyone to come to me and say can you design an amplifier um, right. and i uh, you know and i'd love the 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 challenge of that you know because it's i uh, a, a new amplifier design to me is a blank canvas i mean it, uh, it'll probably be like so many of us that design amps it will start off looking like something else i've done and on paper probably won't um may not appear very different um but yeah I, I don't know that i can give an answer to that and only because there's i probably have to give about 10 answers you know and they have to be about yeah uh, there'd have to be lots of people that i'd like to build an amp for no 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 worries that's good thanks for the question andertons make sure you guys check out andertons online great videos Great stuff. Michael Torrin, thank you for the super chat. Love the amp talk. 
when acquiring vintage gear, should you replace the filter caps if they look original? Also, is there a replacement guideline like every decade? Thank you for what you do. Thank you. You or me? <laughs> is that one for you, Dave? Um, well, uh, um, there's plenty of amps out there that still sound good that have the original filter caps. Not to say that it might not sound better with new filter caps. Um, generally speaking, like with Marshall amplifiers, old Marshall amplifiers, at this point, and when I mean old, I mean 1970s and earlier. At this point, I generally almost always will replace the filter caps. Um, generally speaking, I use F&T filter caps for that. Uh, purpose uh, very good quality cap excellent cap um, and generally speaking that does breathe some life into it now if a person loves how an amp sounds and doesn't really want to change it maybe you leave the caps because it it can change it can make it a little stiffer or a little brighter or a little um so it's really just dependent. I mean, I'm personally, I sort of think you should change them. Uh, now, how often on newer amps? I mean, again, it sort of depends on the amp and the kind of caps that were used in it originally. And and uh, I mean, I wouldn't think anything that's more modern needs filter caps replacing any, like right now. You know, like if it was made within from the two, you know, even some of the 90s to now, I don't know. It's probably fine still. Yeah. Okay. Um, got another one, Cody Craig. I'm having a very hard time finding an amp that produces a sound in my head. Do you have any suggestions for looking? <laughs> got to go in your head, I guess. Uh, well, first of all, I need to crawl into your head and see what that would be. <laughs> yeah. uh, I... I uh, that's no information. So I don't know. I don't know no. what that sound is you're looking for. No. I mean, no, I my contact, contact guys like Dave and Martin and describe what you have in your head. Maybe they can steer you in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a question why we didn't bring up EVH. But, but one, one, one thing about that, though, let me add something to that. Uh, the sound in your head. I might be able to tell you what that sound is if you tell me the, the tone, but you playing through the, let's say the exact amp that is that sound might not be the sound in your head, if that makes sense. Because you as a player, your hands sound different than everyone's hands. So here, I'll bring up Eddie Van Halen. If Eddie Van Halen plugs, <laughs> plugged into a, uh, you know, a certain amp, he's going to sound like Eddie Van Halen and it's going to sound really cool. But if you plug into that same amp, it might sound broken. I don't know. <laughs> I, I have I have seen that happen. I, I have said this before on the show where I know, especially like old Marshalls and things, things like that that are not uh, forgiving. Nice. Someone will plug into an amp like that. And if their hands just don't, it's hard to explain even, if their hands just don't have it, it just sounds awful. 
Yeah. It, you know, they might be better off with a totally different amp to try to achieve sort of the same tone. Yep, I'd agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Here's a question: tone boner. That's questionable. Um, <laughs> questionable name, uh, Dave. How should I hook up a Runt Twenty to a Torpedo Cab M? Cab M is not a load box. It has IRs balanced out or speaker out. Does the runt need the load? Okay. So on the runt, if you do not insert a speaker cable into the use first jack on the back, then there will be a load present. You can use the other speaker jack to feed your cab M. Just as long as there is no cable inserted into the use first speaker jack. So there you go. Just a little cable from the other speaker jack into the cab M set it on speaker level. I think there's a switch for it and you can use that little IR box to go to front of house with a load and set your amp on eight ohms. If you do that too. Okay. But the, the, the head still needs a load. Well, I just explained that there yeah. is a built in load. If you do not plug in the use first speaker jack, it is active. You can yeah. use the other speaker jack to feed your cab M. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Just want to make sure he, he got that. Yeah. yeah. Just make sure you do not have anything plugged into the use first jack. Unless it's the speaker cabinet. Yes. Unless it's a speaker cabinet. Yes. You could have a speaker cabinet and do the same thing, but then you will obviously have sound coming out the speaker cabinet. Okay, we've got another one from uh, Renan Silva. Thanks for the super chat. I remember Mr. Kid saying the V50 was his favorite. It is mine. Did I dream it? Why discontinue this work of art? Is it still your favorite? Uh, it, at the time, it probably... When Victory started, we started with three hand-wired amps. So we started with the V100, which we called a Duke to begin with and uh, then got into trouble for using that name because someone else had uh, copyrighted the name. Uh, and we had the the V50 and the V10. And out of the three, the V50 was my favourite. Um, but it, it wasn't popular. Uh, and I wonder whether being a new company... Uh, a lot of people may not have known that um, I'd built amplifiers before. So uh, it just wasn't popular. And it, yeah, I think that was, that, that was it. It just wasn't popular. Those that bought them liked them, as is often the case with these things. But we just, uh, you know, we they would sit around on the shelves for um, more than we'd like, mm. and so we just decided we took the, the the view that we should probably discontinue it. It may be uh, something we we could revisit, but probably not as a hand wire. Perhaps we could revisit it as a um, as a lunchbox or you know a, a PCB amplifier. Um, but uh, yes, it was just a, a view that was taken that it's it's not really popular, 
Mm. We get good feedback on those that have bought them, but we didn't sell lots. So that's why. This is an interesting one. Uh, Synergy Kraken module. That's a winner. Um, have you seen the Synergy modules? I have. Okay. I have. That's that, interesting. Would be, that, that would be cool. Yeah. I d that, they're quite... Uh, I, don't know much about them. Um, I've seen the uh, kind of modular approach like that. Uh, I mean, way back in, I think it was, I, I've got, a f I can't remember. Eggnator oh, did it first and then it became yeah, right. Randall. Uh, yes, but was there someone that did it before, but they weren't so much, so much I think Seymour they were Duncan? more Seymour Duncan. Did mm -hmm. it before that, didn't he? Um, but they were that was a different thing. It would be like a circuit built round a valve, mm -hmm. so you just plug, you just change one valve. But yes, the 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 early um Bruce Egnator idea seemed very it seemed a really good idea, yeah. Um, and I'm surprised that um, more people didn't jump on the bandwagon and copy it oh we had a patent uh yeah for uh oh uh, i think it might still be in effect it might or it might have just expired yeah normally what are they normally five years or or can you decide it was extended to... longer than that but um i don't i don't remember i don't know for sure don't quote me no <laughs> all right um no i th i think um it, it, to me, it sounded a great idea. It sounded very clever. Um, I don't know the how they they work. Do you use a switch mode supply, or or is it a high voltage? No, um, there's no switch mode supply in it. It's a, it's actual linear. So it's all proper, mm -hmm. as you'd expect from a, a valve amplifier. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Well, that uh, yes, that could be a could be something to consider and to discuss. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Always cool stuff. I, I like that. I, what I like about them, as well, the the synergy ones. What I like is that their appearance is the same. Because I did see it was a Randall, I think, and it had various modules, and so the the cosmetics, yes, were a bit jarring. <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and that was discussed originally when this was being done uh hmm. you know do you make it you know does my module be gold or is something else this but then it looks too it, in some respects it's cool but in other respects it looks horrible so yeah. most of the other respects yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that was a thing that um didn't sit well with me it was just the different appearances um, and perhaps it was a good idea um, until you, till it appeared in the flesh, and then. But that—that's the thing I like is that you haven't done that with the, with the synergy. Um, uh, is the Steve Vice? Steve Vice got a module, hasn't he? Yeah, that's the only one that's a different oh, color. Green is it? Green. Yeah, but no, that, that sounds like a good idea. So yeah, cool something. Stuff. Something to discuss. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> Gonzalo, Nam twenty twenty two. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if there's. Who knows if there's a Nam twenty twenty two? Who who knows if there's Nam ever again? That would be a shame if it didn't. Um, if there wasn't one. Kind of, but you know. But I wonder what will happen. See, there isn't one next year, and so I uh, will. I don't know what what the the plan is um, because people. Will there be a kind of online thing? I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. I, who knows? And, you know, I wonder if the, as much as I, I have fun at Nam, and that's, that's, you know, all fun, but, um, I don't know if the business model of Nam really is that useful anymore. Except to Nam. You know, yeah, except to Nam. And the business model for Nam is very, very good and very lucrative <laughs> yes. from what I know for what we pay. Yeah. <laughs> um but to the manufacturers. But to the manufacturers, I mean, like this convention idea is I mean, if it's a public show, I get it, but it's supposed to be a dealer show and it really isn't anymore. No, it and, doesn't seem that's the case. And um, and you know, pretty much there aren't really new dealers, very, very few new dealers that are opened up. You know what I mean? Uh, so you pretty much know who your dealers are and who exists out there already. And a lot of them are already your dealers. So what, I mean, the purpose of the show is for new business, really. Yes. Your old dealers are going to order whether they see a video on the new product or not you know the, the the old dealers don't even play it generally they come in the booth and just glance at it and look at it and order some yeah. <clears throat> you know um i mean guitars are a little different they pick guitars you know if they like certain guitars but that all can be done virtually these days you know i don't uh, I mean, it's not like I mean, the amount you spend on nam to recoup especially on the size that we do it to recoup that money, you can sell like half a year's worth of merchandise. Well, maybe not that much, but I mean, you have to sell a lot, you know, to re actually recoup that expense. Well, it's, yeah, it's majorly expensive. I mean, for a huge thing like that, yeah, it's over, it's over a hundred thousand dollars for us. Yeah, it's a it's a nice stand. I mean, it's great for, um, you know, people that want to come in and play but that's that will be those people coming in and trying the stuff will either be people that are that their gigs are quite high profile or just um just members of the public that want to have a go on that setup you've got you know mm -hmm. I've, I've been in the room and 90 percent, i'd say 95 percent of people who are playing through your rig at Nam, Dave, or just guys who just want to play through your rig. <laughs> they're yeah. just coming to hang out. Yeah, they yeah. just want to come through and just play and check. Yeah, but if they're going to hang out and drink my bar. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, we got a, a question from uh, Philip Aspie. Uh, suggestion for attenuating a deluxe reverb style amp to get breakup at band volumes, ideally 500 ish, or suck it up and save it for an Ox or Wazza. I can give you my 
opinion. Um, I've, I've got a, uh, well, it's not a deluxe reaver, but it's uh, similar to that Fender style. I got a, um, who makes it a guy now, the, the totally, it's an attenuator from Dr. Z. That that's actually works great for that. Yeah. What's it called? The, uh, geez. Z break or something. Yeah. I, I've got it literally just sitting right here next to me. It was an original design by Ken Fisher, uh, uh, you know, of train wreck circuits. And then it was kind of adapted. Dr. Z yeah. started making the design. It's a very simple attenuator, but it, it's called the brake light. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. There's also a tone King one. There's a small wattage tone King one. That sounds is really that, good. Is the Tone King one based on, you can get those things called an L-pad, which is largely designed for speaker attenuation. The, um, the, the Tone King is reactive. It's, it's got a lot of circuitry in it going on. Um, the, the other one is a pad, so to speak. Um, the, but, uh, you know, to be honest, it's quite good. The, the original uh, train wreck design... The only thing you really lose is maybe just a touch of top end. That's what you need to. Okay, I think there's more there. So turn the trouble up more. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of high end on those amps. Yeah. Sure. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, those Z brake would work pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to spend a thousand dollars or twelve hundred dollars on an ox or something like that for that. Not uh, for that purpose. No, I, I, I think for live. You're literally just you've got to waste some power somewhere, mm -hmm. but that's I think all you need to do. Um, I think if, if you're wanting to take a signal for front of house or something like that, it might be different. But if you yeah. just want to be able to crank it up without quite so much sound pressure, um, one thing I used to like to do, and this is very simple, um, I used to use a, a Palmer PDI 03 rack version. And I would use, I had a, uh, a 16 ohm cabinet, old high watt cabinet, and I'd plug that into one four ohm socket or one socket set to four ohms. And then I'd take the, the Palmer, which was an eight ohm load. Mm -hmm. And so I got probably about a third of the power into the, the cabinet. And just a parallel load. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't, it's not, you know, it's, you, you've got 5.3 ohms instead of four, but uh, that awesome. worked well for me. And and then I could take a load out to the, um, to the PA and it, it wasn't brilliant, but it, you know, for the kind of gigs I was doing, it worked very nicely. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of good things about the Palmer as well. Yeah. Um, Helgi Runar Gunnarsson. Thanks for the super chat. I don't know what that translates into dollars, but it looks impressive. Thank you. <laughs> it's a big number. I bet it's not as impressive as you think. <laughs> so thank you. Yes, really appreciate it. Hello from Iceland. Love the show. Watch it every week. Thanks so much. Uh, plan on getting both a BE100 Deluxe and a twin sister within the next year. Which one should I get first? I'll let Dave answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's that's a good question. Which one should you get first? I don't know. Do you like chocolate or vanilla? You know, it's uh, um, you know, the twin sister is more vintage. It's fatter. It's more 
You know, if you need that first, then get that. If you need more of like a high gain rock thing, then get the B Deluxe first. Mm. Agree with that. Uh, Sola Guitar, thank you. Hi, I prefer one by sixteen ohm speakers, but if I do two by eight ohm speakers, does the sound does the sound is better when the amp is at sixteen ohms or two by sixteen ohm speakers in a eight ohm amp? Uh, man, that's confusing. So, are we saying is a two eight ohms in series better than one? Wait, he might just be saying if it's better 16 ohm tap or 8 ohm tap well theoretically neither theoretically it shouldn't be any different although there's some there's some instances like vintage marshals for instance had their negative feedback taken off the speaker jack the really yeah. old ones um, and so the negative feedback changes with the impedance. So that does change a few, uh, change the sound theoretically. Also, I've, in my experience, eight ohm cabinets in general, for some reason, and I don't have scientific proof on this, but for some reason seem to have a bit more mid range to them. Um, and I have no, I can't, maybe that's a test or a video we'll do. I'll get Pete Thorne to do it one day. <laughs> if you have two brand new speakers in a 112 cabinet and have one B8 ohm and one B16 ohm and then record it, it and see. It could be, um, and I'm, uh, this is only a guess, and I think that the difference could be really subtle, is that your speaker lead will have an Im impedance and an inductance, etc. So it will have a proper impedance to an AC signal. Um, but if, And the resistance it will also have. And I'm wondering whether you, you will lose a greater percentage of your power in the lead with a smaller impedance. Um, but say your speaker lead is one ohm, not, I shouldn't mm -hmm. think it would be that high. But if it's one ohm and you've got a 16 ohm load, then you've got one seventeenth of the power disappearing in your cable. But if it's one ohm and, and a four ohm load, then you've got 20% disappearing. Um, mm -hmm. But because of its impedance, so you may that may actually be the, the, uh, quite a, a good observation. I've never noticed that. Um, but it isn't. Uh, it's not a test I've done. But there, there may actually be some, some. Uh, well, there will be some scientific explanation, and it could well be. It's a little bit like some people when they wire a four by twelve. Um, some people will use five bits of wire, and some, and then two going off to the speaker jack, and some people will use four bits and two going off to the speaker jack arguably there's less inductance with less pieces of wire and that should change the sound but it's very subtle i, I I've, I've done that test you've done it have you? And, yeah and two, two different ways of wiring a 4 by 12 cabinet one would be the the old v 
vintage way that Marshall did it, which was uh, two sets of speakers in series and then those pairs in parallel at the speaker jack. Yep. Uh, versus uh, the other way of wiring it. One say it's parallel series, another say it's series parallel. Uh, but the other way of wiring, um, which uses, um, let's see, four bits of wire. Let's call it. Uh, wait, one. Wait, I guess more than that. But, um, and it does sound different. It changes. It it does sound different. It it's yeah. one. I prefer the old way. Um, is that how yours? Top, are top end is a little sweeter. The. Um, it's sort of like the same. Um, same thing of like the notes flow out of the cabinet better. <laughs> uh, oh, done it. Um, it's it's something I'm aware of, but it's not a test I've done. Yeah. Um, but uh, I always used to with a uh, say over twelve. I'd wire wire the left hand pair in parallel, the right hand pair in parallel, and then put. A, a wire to put those in series on the yeah. top speakers and then go from and then off to the jack yeah um that's that's how i often did it but then uh, a friend of mine suggested that uh because he, he knew a lot about vintage amps vintage wiring and and he's, he was telling me that the the, the way to that marshall wired their old cabinets was um yeah so you've got the the top pair in series and the bottom pair in series and then you parallel the top with the bottom pair i think that's what you're talking about isn't it uh yeah well the the the, the two series pairs are there's two twisted sets of wires that go to the jack and then that's in parallel so the the the, the jack is the point where they're in parallel yeah, yeah. um Okay, right, yes. Okay. And that's the way we currently wire our cabinets. Um, yeah. Formerly, we used to wire them a different way. And uh, and then I, I got, I went down this rabbit hole one day. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's change this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Not that the other way doesn't sound good, it, you know, but it's just, I don't know. There, there's always those little little things that you yeah. kind of tweak along the years. Yeah. Uh, I think probably the person on the stage or the person right near it benefits more than anyone else. Yes. Uh, um, I don't think... I always say that the the room, people say, which valves do you recommend? You know, what... You know, would you recommend I bias my output valves at a static bias of say 39 milliamps instead of 36 and i think well it probably make it will make a difference but it will be so subtle that the room you're playing in and where you've got your you know where your settings are will have a far bigger impact on your on that oh than, yeah then you know something's very subtle it does have it it does change the sound but then you can do lots to change it after that and it really makes what you've done 
you know, in a, a bias adjustment or something like that, it just voids what you've done, really, I think. Right, all right. Uh, I just wanted to thank John Split for the super chat. I don't know if you had a question. I didn't see it. Um, but if you did, type it back in. Um, I know there's a, let's see, I'm going to go through some more questions. Um, I know there's a lot that I'm probably missing. Uh, so we talked about earlier, there was a power amp. There was, uh, there was originally that question about you guys, about you guys coming out potentially with a power amp. I, I forget who asked that question, but um, do you want to address that potentially as well? Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's something. It's something we talked about, um, and we talked about would it be a, a valve power amp, you know, standalone thing that would sit on top of a, a cabinet, or would it be? Because uh, I think probably the, the the point of that would be to use the V4 pedals with the power mm -hmm. amp. Um, and then we talked about perhaps if, if people want something portable and that would fit on a pedal board, then something like um, the, 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 the output stages that we put in, in the, in the V4 Duchess, uh, and which is a, a, one of the power modules, the, um, we, we, get 180 watts i think probably the maximum you could you can get out of one of those is 210 i think but what i didn't want to do was start introducing a limiter circuit um because if you put too much signal into those class d modules they'll they they won't distort as such as they'll just turn off and mm -hmm. so that nuisance because they'll turn off not for long a couple of seconds but um so we, I just thought, well, we'll just go close to 200 watts. So we went to about 180, but we thought something like that might be a better power amp. Uh, just bearing in mind what people might want to use it for, which is uh, a portable rig. Right. Um, so it, it's something we, we may do. It's something that has been discussed, but it's not on the roadmap at the moment. Gotcha. Watch okay. this space is often what I say to people because it is, you know, it has been discussed more than once. So, but um, it's not uh, on our immediate plans. Um, you know, it's not what I've been working on of late, um, but it, it may happen. Okay. Uh, Servando Flores, thank you for the super chat. Martin, can you talk about your cabs? Like why you decided to go with Pine and perhaps your favorite speakers. I love my V212 VG portable and punchy. Uh, Pine, this was something that um, was almost a bit of guesswork, I think, back in the Cornford days. And Paul and I discussed what should we do. Uh, and it was, I think, just because I had a, a couple of old cabinets, old 4x12s, Marshalls, and and a new one. And I I had one old angled one that had 25-watt, so the 25-watt greenbacks. 
I had a straight fronted one that had the 30 watt, the original, I think probably what some people refer to as a Jimi Hendrix speaker. So the 30 watt greenback mm. sort of thing. Um, and then I had one with G1275s and um, or G1275T as it was. That was probably a late 80s former 12. And I like the sound of the older cabs, but to me it was because they probably got a bit rickety and they were um, just wood was moving, which in, in terms of the, the physics um, involved here isn't a good idea. You really want a very good like mechanical ground for to get the maximum sound pressure from a, a, a speaker. You want everything else to stay still and so the speaker pushes the air but we like the sound of the wood moving mm -hmm. uh, that's one reason and the other thing we did with those and again it's probably not uh, or arguably is not a uh, good engineering practice was that the baffle we used was quite thin and again it made the cabinet resonate so it was a nine mil baffle nine mil thick baffle um, and so that's what we did, and we liked the sound of it. Um, but it was really guesswork. It was how can we make a cabinet that sounds old? And um, and, and it, it, it did. It definitely sounds, it's got a nice tone, but probably from a sound projection point of view, it's not very good, or it's not as good. It's, you can still get them loud. But uh, I think if you've got um, a, a sturdy cabinet and a thick baffle and nothing moves other than the speaker, uh, so that's, you know, the thing that's moving the air, mm. um, that, that's an efficient way to do things. Uh, what we did wasn't a very efficient way to do things, but it made a nice sound on the, on the stage. Yeah. A little richer, a little warmer, a little more resonant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was that's purely it. It and and it was. We didn't honestly. We didn't make loads of cabinets and try different, um, you know, different combinations. We we liked what it did, and and it did sound different. Not huge, you know. It's they, a lot of these things. Uh, they're they're subtle differences. Oh yeah. But it all adds up. It does, yeah. It it adds up, and um, and it's it's one of those things where really it's the player standing near his cabinet on the stage is going to benefit more than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that was so. That was my thinking. That's why we did it. Um, and I think we'd learned that um, some, not Marshall cabinets, but certainly some old Fender cabinets and things were pine. So we we. We did that, so it wasn't a hugely scientific process. Um, we just thought this might work, and and it did, and and we didn't delve too much into it after that. Okay, so that's how it came about. Um, thank you. Um, I think this will be the last question because I got a bolt at the two-hour mark. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Alex B, I'm running stereo with two 4x12 Chinese greenback V30 cabs. Want to go wet, dry, wet. Do I need the same speakers in the dry cab and wet cabs if I run 
some dry in the wet cabs. Can I do all heritage greenback or Chinese greenback or all V30? It doesn't really matter. You can put whatever you want. It just, uh, it'll be the blend of the tones. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. I think that one thing, and I, I don't even know that whether this is particularly important because you've got separate power amps, but sometimes the sensitivity of different speakers needs to be considered. Some will be, you know, a greenback um, is quieter than a vintage 30, mm -hmm. uh, given the same signal. Mm -hmm. ones with sufficient but it doesn't matter i think with the with having a stereo power amp and then a drive cab from your from uh from directly from your amp it probably doesn't matter but it's something to think about would you agree yes i would agree I, although i do mix them in a cabinet but i put the vintage 30s in the bottom so they don't hit you hit you as hard <laughs> no, no, no that's good that's yeah. a good point that's sensible yeah and uh, and there's one more quick one, Mark. Too someone asked sure. about mercury mercury output transformers or mercury transformers in general, and an opinion on it, and versus what I use. Um, I, I don't particularly care for mercury uh, magnetics output transformers. Um, they're kind of dark sounding and veiled to me. Uh, I don't think they sound really much like an original transformer at all, in the comparisons that I've done. The transformers I have made sound very much like original old transformer. So it's not that the Mercury isn't a good product. This is I don't particularly care for them. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I want to thank you, Martin, for coming on. I really well, appreciate taking you. two hours of your day or evening. Yeah. to. Uh, uh, really, really appreciate it. And I, I hope everybody checks out Victory Amps. Um, uh, I'm not sure where they're sold, but uh, wherever they're sold, check them out. Um, and then our next guest is Josh Feeden. Feeden. Feeden? God, why do I keep messing that up? Um, from Voodoo Labs, November 13th. Uh, Tosin Abasi is on November 20th. We've got Lindy Fralin on December 4th. And that's it for right now. So um, I really appreciate everybody joining us. We've got like 280 people still. We had like 300 for the whole show. So it's great. I really appreciate everybody watching. Hope you have a good weekend. Martin, just hang on for a second while we say goodbye. Yeah, we'll do. And uh, Dave, I hope you have a good weekend. All right. We'll see you soon, guys. Cheers.